Becky and I were sitting down one night, and I said, you know, I've always thought about my life in decades. I've taught the church to think not just for a year, but to think in decades. And I remembered something that some friends of mine and I did when we were in college. Have you ever done anything dumb when you were in college? No? I, do, I don't deserve to be here. I just, among such great people. But I remember we went to a mall, and we had a race to see who could race up the down escalator the fastest. I don't know if you've ever done that before. That is a lot of fun. It makes a lot of people angry, but when you're young and dumb, you don't care. <laughs> you just do it anyway. And we were timing one another. Do you remember old Casio watches and things like that? We were timing one another and running up there until we finally got run out of the store. But it was great fun. And sometimes life is like that. You feel like you're running up the down escalator. You take a step and things just keep moving on. Has anybody ever discovered that in life? That it, it just feels like you're running against the current. And I wondered why that could be so much fun. And sometimes people end up just constantly complaining about their lives. While we were talking, I remembered something that Stephen Covey had written, and I said, we were just this conversation, just the two of us talking, and I said, you know, Covey says, you really want to begin with the end of your life in mind. You want to ask yourself those questions, what do you want people to say about you when you die? And for me, I was able just to reflect on that kind of quickly. I, I want people to be able to say, I loved God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I really want to live that way. I, I want people to be able to say that I loved my wife and family with everything I have. I want people to be able to say that I loved the people I pastored with all my heart and poured my life out. Probably the thing that really moves my heart is I want lost people to say, he loved me. I really want lost people to sense that part of Jesus, if you remember, I think it's in John 13, I might be wrong on the reference, you can look it up later, but in John 13 where Jesus, it was said of Jesus, he showed them the full extent of his love. I don't know if you've ever meditated on that phrase, but the full extent of the love of God. Because... It's like Jared said, and I hadn't planned to say this at the beginning, but when you said that about this 101-year-old woman, hearing the gospel and then dying shortly thereafter, how many people still need to know the love of Jesus? The thought I want to leave you with this morning is, where will you be a year from now? Where will your marriage be? Where will your family be? Where will you be personally if you think about it a year from now, but I don't want you just to think about a year, but I want you to look at the scriptures with me this morning and think about where will you be 10 years from now? Because there's so much that we don't know about life. Death happens. Tragedies happen. I had no idea sometimes the things that have taken, taken place in my life even after I planned out my year, 
I didn't expect this to happen or that to happen, and it not only changed the course of that year, but it changed the course of time after that. Who of us expected when 2020 started that there would be a COVID pandemic and a COVID epidemic? And recently listening to our general superintendent talking about how the church is still not recovered from COVID. And I get calls like that all the time. What's going on? Is this a new normal? And so today, I, I just want you to ask yourself this question, kind of look down the road of life, and where will you be a year from now? And the fact that unexpected tragedy or unexpected blessings happen in our lives shouldn't keep us from thinking through and planning for what we want to happen in life. God gave revelation to the early church and left it for us as the Word of God to encourage us. I did a two-year study through the book of Revelation. You might be interested in knowing this, but there have been some other churches that have taken my notes and have used that in their congregations. There's been a couple of companies that have used that for those who voluntarily wanted to come to a Bible study and, and use that. And one of the convictions I have about the book of Revelation is not a book of speculation. It's a book of comfort. It's a book of encouragement. It's a book given to people who knew that along with the blessings, there were going to be tragedies in their life. Many of them were going to be fed to the lions, and they would go into the Colosseum singing and giving God praise and glory. And Revelation encouraged them. That's why God gave them that. They lived with a vision of life that the blessing of God wasn't limited to just the, the current events that were happening to them, but the blessing of God went all the way into eternity. It is that frame of mind that will help you look down that highway, no matter how barren everything looks on the side, <clears throat> no matter how fruitless everything looks on the side. It's that sense that God is in control. And as Dan said to me just a few moments ago when I hugged his neck and said, ain't God good, he said to me, he's good all the time, whether in tragedy or whether in triumph. Can you say amen to that? He's good all the time. So would you stand with me and... I want us to look at Revelation 21 this morning. I'm only going to take time for the first eight verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That New Jerusalem is symbolic of the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God, from the throne saying, Behold, now notice the voice is coming from the throne, the throne of God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither there shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, <clears throat> I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, to who? To the thirsty, not to the good, 
not to the moral, not to the honest, not to the faithful, but to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, or idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with sulfur and fire, which is the second death. Father, I'm asking you in the next few minutes that you will speak to our hearts and help us to spend some time thinking and planning and preparing, Lord, always within mind that, God, you are sovereign for where we're going to be a year from now, a decade from now, an eternity from now. For it's in your holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. This is one of the most quoted passages in literature. It's one of the most quoted passages in Christian books. So much of the Western canon of literature that we talk about actually quotes this passage of Scripture. And maybe except for funerals or maybe except for the series I did on Revelation, I don't know that I've ever just taken this text and preached a Sunday morning sermon on it. But this is given because it has application both to my lost friends and it has application to you and I as passionate followers of Christ. The reason that I think that Westerners and whenever other people who from parts of the world had never been evangelized, when they read this, they become fascinated. The reason we're fascinated with it is because all of us, we have this deep need for eternity within us. Maybe you've never just really sat down and thought about that because in the busyness of life and the advertisements that come across our devices and our televisions, our, our radio, the billboards, we're constantly called upon to think about not eternity, but to think upon this life. But there is a part of you created in the image of God that every human being was made for eternity. It's why we're so fascinated with this word new. And if you noticed, it was used four times in the passage of Scripture that I just read to you. We love new. If you want to advertise something that is not selling very well, you just simply say it's new and improved. That's why it's new, is because it's improved. This time of the year, everybody is going to the gym because they want that new look again. They want to look great again. I, we've had our grandson, Joseph, excuse me, Barakiah with us for the last two weeks while Chris and Rachel have been overseas. And I've watched Bear, played with Bear. His skin is so soft. The definition of his little muscles are coming. It reminds me so much of his dad. I was looking at his dad the other day online. We were FaceTiming together, and I remembered when Chris looked new like Bear. And then I stood in front of the mirror while I was dressing, and I looked at pictures of me as a child at my mother's house, and I remember when I looked new. And the problem is that in this life, in this world we live in now, we begin to fall apart. We begin to sag. 
My brother-in-law asked me while I was home. He says, D, color your hair. I said, it ain't happening. Color your hair. And I, do you color your hair? Yes, I'm not about to be gray. I looked at him. I said, I've earned this. I'm proud of this. He goes, it makes you look old. And I told him, I said, the Bible says that God is making all things new. Can you say amen to that? He's making all things new. And, but I was standing in the mirror, in front of the mirror, and I turned sideways because I was thinking about this message. It's not being vain. When you're 68, there ain't a whole lot to be vain about. And I noticed I was sagging. And I stood up straight, and I sucked my stomach in, trying to look new. If I really want to get in hot water, and she's not here today, she's probably watching online, so I'll be in hot water anyway, but if I really want to get in trouble with my wife and daughter, is for me not to notice their new haircut that they get when they go to, do they still call it a beauty shop? No, okay. Salon. I, I, I fail to notice it's new, and I get in trouble. But now, if I was to get a new haircut, they would think I was having a late-life crisis. Not a mid-life crisis, but a late-life crisis. You see, we're fascinated with new. We want to stay new. We don't want to fall apart as we get old. We, we take vitamins by the boatloads. We exercise. We eat right. We, we diet. We do the Daniel plan. One of our members told me the other day, he says, Pastor, one of the best gifts you've ever given me was when you did the series on the Daniel plan. I feel so much better. I have so much more energy. That has done me so much good. And to hear that from a man was like, come on, victory. Here's a guy responding to that. But we want to stay new. But Romans chapter 8 tells us about the futility of this world that we're living in and the the futility of our bodies. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 and following basically say the world is falling apart. Nothing in nature, nothing in nature ever seems to get to its goal. Even scientists know that things shouldn't get old and die, but they do because there is a law that took place in the world when sin came in to this world of ours, and it's the law of decay. And so we're subject to decay. Nature is subject to decay. Things happen in nature and people panic. It's what happened as the result of sin. We have refrigeration to try to keep our vegetables fresh and green. One of our former associate pastors here at the church was preaching one Sunday morning and I leaned over to Becky and said, he is going to be in hot water because he talked about drawer that they had in their refrigerator, and he says, it's the rotter. He says, it's supposed to keep vegetables fresh, but at my house, it just simply goes in there and stuff rots, never to be seen again. You know, it just rots. And sure enough, after church, his wife lit into him like a wet setting hen. She said, you just basically told everybody that I don't keep a clean refrigerator. And he started to say something in the background. I'm going, just you're not going to win. <laughs> we have formaldehyde to try and preserve things. We have makeup. I am shocked. I didn't know that men wore makeup. Get real. 
We know. The Bible uses that word new four times because there's something there you and I need to know. There are two words for new in the Bible. The first word is neos. It means something that has just appeared. It's not been there very long. It's new. It's it's brand new. It's like a brand new baby. Then there's the Greek word kainos, which means something, it means about its quality, not necessarily its duration, but its quality. And what God is saying here is that he is working in our life with what is getting older, and he's making it new. He's giving us newness of life and quality of life at the same time. Can you say amen to that? Newness of life. You get a brand new life when you give your heart to Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become kindness. All things have become new. Suddenly, you get this freshness, this newness of life that has never been there before until you're born again. So in Christ, there can be kainos and neos. There can be newness and there can be quality together. For something just simply to be neos means it's young and tender. That's bare or barakaya. He's two years old. Everything's fascinating. Everything's new to him. He's just right now, he's just at that tender, young, learning age. But for something to be kainos and neos, it means, now listen, it has to be getting newer and newer and newer and newer. For something to be neos and kainos, it has to get newer and newer and newer. It still has the freshness the quality of life. It doesn't require refrigeration. It doesn't require formaldehyde. We don't even have a category for that. That's what faith is all about. It's not mindless. It's not a gamble. It's a recognition that there is a law in God's created universe where you submit to the Lordship of Christ and life gets better and better. So when Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new, that's what he's doing in you. Newness and quality at the same time. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe before you became a Christian, the Bible was the most boring book. And then suddenly, after you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, you begin to read your Bible And all of a sudden, we say things like, it leapt out at me. It was in boxcar-sized letters. It seized my heart. The reason was that the Holy Spirit had come to live in you. There was a newness. There was a quality of life that suddenly you begin to perceive truths that had always been there, but you'd never knew them before. What's happening? God has given you light. And what that says to me in this passage is everything is becoming new for the child of God. Everything is becoming new for you, for me. It's becoming new. Let's look again at the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people 
God himself will be with them, and he, <clears throat> he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be more, no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. All these things are gone forever. What is he saying? Your life is no longer going to be frustrated. Your life is going to no longer be complicated. Nature is no longer going to be frustrated. Everything is not going to keep falling apart. Everything is not going to keep sagging because life is going to be newer and newer every sweet day in Jesus. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Newer every day. You go, that's impossible. Well, Jesus looked at them in Matthew 19 and verse 26, and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Well, read the last line with me. But with God, everything is possible. Say that again. But with God, everything is possible. Look at your neighbor and say, with God, everything is possible. Now, it may be beyond our imagination because we don't have a category for it. But we have our faith that lays hold of the unseen. Now faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. Look at Psalms 96. Here's a picture of it. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout its praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming. Say it with me. He is coming. Say it again. He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with His truth. What's He saying there? As beautiful as nature is now, think of picture rocks in the northern part of Michigan. Think of Pike's Peak. If I were to ask you this morning to draw a picture of Pike's Peak, you might take a pen and you would draw a picture. But then if I was to flash on the screen a picture of Pike's Peak, you would look at that flat, one-dimensional picture that you drew and go, oh, yeah, this reminds me of Pike's Peak, but this is nothing compared to the beauty and the wonder of Pike's Peak. I'm telling you what you see in this world is a dim foreshadowing of what is to come. There's a new heaven and a new earth that's coming for you and I today. Can we give him another hand of praise? Get all excited about that. In Genesis, we are told that somehow... We're supposed to be cultivators of the tremendous good that God has placed in the universe. When I think about that, and I think about Eden, I often ask myself, what would this world have been like if we had not sinned? What discoveries are waiting to be made? I mean, I think about great discoveries that have been made like that the earth is not the center of the universe, that's a great discovery. I think about the discovery of, of the polio vaccine, that was a great discovery. I think about what we see in the heavens with the Hubble telescope, I mean, those are great discoveries. But what would the earth have been like if we had never sinned? What would science have been like? What would the history of architecture have been like? What would literature, what would art have been like if man had never sinned and we had cultivated the good that God created this earth, what was it that God said? It is good. It is good. It is good. What would we have 
been like if we had never sinned? Because when God finished with you and me, he said, it is very good. We could have unlocked the hidden potentials of the universe if we had never sinned. But we have tried to be our own masters of the universe. Do you remember the cartoon from the 80s? He-Man, master of the universe. That's what we wanted to be. We wanted to be masters of our destiny, captains of our soul, masters of the universe. How's that working out for the world? Not very good, is it? I can still see my boy standing up on the sofa in their ducktails underwear going, master of the universe. And I'd look at Becky and say, boy, do they have a lot to learn. You see, it's in our nature, unless God does a miracle in us. And the question is, who does he do that miracle in? Even nature is looking forward to it. Look at Romans 8.20. With eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. I, I want you to get this. If you look on the back of my watch, you can see all the gears and stuff that is working inside of it. But if one little gear, one little cog was to break off that watch, it could destroy the whole mechanism inside. And that's a picture of what human beings sin did to the entire universe. When we sinned, the entire universe became broken. And Tolkien tried to give us a picture of this in probably one of my favorite novels, The Lord of the Rings. He tried to give us a picture of Eden, and if you look upon the screen, Frodo's in a patch of the forest that had never been touched by the evil of Mordor. Tolkien, who was a Christian, a sharp Christian, a thoughtful Christian, he wrote in the novel, all that he saw was shapely, but the shapes seemed at once clear-cut as if they had been first conceived and drawn at the uncovering of his eyes, and ancient as if they had endured forever. He saw no color but those he knew, gold and white and blue and green. They were fresh and poignant, as if he had at that moment first perceived them and made for them names new and wonderful. In winter here, no heart could mourn for summer or for spring. No blemish or sickness or deformity could be seen in anything that grows upon the earth. Tolkien is trying to describe for you what life was like in Eden. And I'm trying to describe to you as you think about and plan for this year and for the next decade. Do you realize the hidden potential that is in you because of Jesus Christ? Do you realize the newness of life that is in you? That's why God says you are the head and not the tail. Look at me. That's why God can say of you, you will go out and be blessed in the country and you will come in and be blessed in the city. It's why God says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. 
That's why those early Christians could walk into the Colosseum and face the gaping jaws of the lion and sing with joy because they knew that the termination of life on this planet was not the termination of life in eternity. This life will soon be passed, but the life that is lived for Jesus Christ will last and last and last for all of eternity. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning as well? For all of eternity. Tuesday, we'll bury Dr. Gilry's father, but look at what 1 Corinthians 15 says about the body of a Christian. Our bodies are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Look at that. This is important. Don't miss this. Raised as spiritual bodies. Say that with me. Spiritual bodies. Say it again. Spiritual bodies. This is key. Right now, my body and my soul are at war with one another. Your body and your soul are at war with one another. Jesus calls it about the flesh warring with the spirit. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. But there is a day coming when the body will be a spiritual body. Do you remember Jesus when he was raised? A spiritual body is not a ghost. When Jesus was resurrected, he walked into the room. He scared, almost said the bejesus. I can't believe I almost said that. He scared the snot out of everybody because they said, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, look at me. I'm not a ghost. Give me some fish to eat. And he ate that fish in front of them. Fish, ghosts don't eat fish. I want you to know you've got a body, you've got a life coming, you've got a new heaven and a new earth coming. Plan for your future because it matters. It matters this morning. I am like a cucumber compared to what I'm going to be like. You're like a squash compared to what you're going to be like. Just think about it. Right now, you have five senses. Maybe in heaven, we'll have a hundred senses. Maybe a thousand senses. I don't know. But I do know I find it awful strange that sometimes when somebody has a stroke, that all of a sudden, the dimension of their life that has never been expressed before, they can paint like the best of artists. They can do things they've never done before. The hidden potential in you because of who dwells in you today. We're going to be glorified. This book is practical. It's meant to be obeyed, but it's comfort. And I'm out of time, so let me wrap it up like this. I don't know what kind of problems you may have. Every one of us have problems we have to deal with. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. Some of you may be struggling with debt. You need to walk out of this church knowing this morning your greatest debt has been forgiven. Your debt of sin. No money, no amount of works can ever pay for that. Only the blood of Jesus. Some of you may be facing some terrible things. But just as those early Christians found comfort in the book of Revelation and sang the hymns and the praises of God, you can sing and you can triumph this morning. 
at some point, look, look right here. At some point, the trouble will pass. Somebody told me the other day, my favorite verse in the Bible is, it came to pass. My favorite time to ride in a plane in Michigan is the winter time. Because when I forget there's a sun in the sky after 30 days of gray weather, I pop through that cloud cover and the sun is shining. It's still there. Let me give you one more reference from the Lord of the Rings. The real hero in the story is Sam, as you know. But Sam is about ready to give up. He sees the star and it reminds him of something. And when he looks at that star, the Bible, not the Bible, but the Tolkien's book says, the beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was a light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Those of you that maybe be dealing with debt, dealing with death, dealing with marriage conflict or trouble, understand this. There is a potential in you that today Kainos and Neos have met in your life. The quality of something being brand new and the quality of something remaining new over and over. And the potential that is in your life is beyond your grasp and beyond my grasp. There is no category for it. But it's not about, look at me, and those of you watching online, please hear me. It's not about you going out of this sanctuary today trying to be a better person. It's not about you trying to be more honest. It's not about you trying to be more moral. It's not about you trying to be a better person. Those are all good things, and I recommend them to do all of those things. But that's not who the Bible says will receive do you remember what it says? To those that are thirsty. Say it with me. To him who is thirsty. Say it again. To him who is thirsty. To her is thirsty. Has the Bible become stale to you? Then just simply go to the Lord and tell him, say, Lord, I thirst for the newness of the word in my life. Has prayer become stale to you? Lord, I thirst for your presence. More than anything, I long for you. I thirst for you. In a land where there is no water, I thirst for you, David said in Psalm 63. Has sharing your faith somehow or another become old to you? Then go to him and say, Lord, I thirst to have the joy of sharing your love with my lost friends again. Or if you find yourself somehow or another and you're looking down that road and you don't see any hope, say, Lord, I thirst for a fresh vision. I thirst, oh God, to see what you want to do with my life so that I may glorify you and love you.
just before Christmas, one of my friends came to me and said, Dennis, how do you account for the fact that our friendship has remained so strong through the years? And my reply was just simply, because we thirst for one another's company. We long to do life together. We long to share the love of Christ together. And there's something about sharing Jesus that feeds our souls. Are you thirsty? Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray for you. Holy Spirit of God, we need a healing of the things we thirst for in this life. God, we need a healing from things that are unhealthy, for things that are toxic. We need a healing from the toxicity, Lord, of the violence and the hatred and the division and the racism and the fear. We need a healing, Lord, from the toxicity of the gossip and the division that is in our world. Lord, we need a healing of our thirst so that we thirst for the living water. For you have promised Jesus that if any of us are thirsty and we come to you, you will give us the waters of life forever and ever. So I ask you now at the beginning of this new year, when some may feel like they're running up an escalator, God, maybe the escalator is going faster than they're progressing. I ask you in the name of Jesus, would you touch us? And would you help us to see we're living a new life, getting newer every day, and we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never committed your life to Jesus or you've wandered from your faith in Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me this morning? Say, Lord, I thirst, I hunger, I long for you and for forgiveness of my sins. I'm not promising you I'll be better. I'm not promising you I'll be kinder. I'm not promising you, Lord, I'll be more moral. I'm just simply thirsty for you. Forgive my sins and make me a brand new man or woman. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. Can we give him one more hand of praise today? <laughs> now may the Lord touch you, and may he bless you to recognize that not many of us were wise, not many of us were powerful, not many of us were wealthy, but God chose us, and he considers us as his sons and daughters. May we plan and live our lives as children of the king. God bless you. Have a happy new year.